0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. And uh, I get the privilege of being one of the preachers here at the church. And we're glad you're with us. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We've called it repurposed as a theme. Because what you'll see is Paul celebrates in this letter to encourage the church uh, that live in that region. He's encouraging them that God has a plan. Not only to save us from our sins. But to make us useful. And to give us an opportunity to make a difference in the lives. That's why we've called it repurposed. And every story you've heard as testimony leading into it are the stories of people who had intended to go one direction, but God altered them by meeting Jesus and refashioned them and repurposed them for something unique, something different. And uh, so today as we talk, I'd like to, I was thinking about this text in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, what struck me is some questions that I used to teach in some uh, classes at Great Lakes Christian College. How do children learn to speak? Children don't come to you and ask to be taught because they don't have a set of languages. So they grunt and point and cry and pitch a fit, and we read their symbols. But we get tired of that after a season, so we teach them to speak. And how do kids learn to speak? They imitate their parents. They imitate, they imitate the voices of those around them. For instance, if you speak with a southern dialect, it's not because you're genetically predisposed to speak improperly. I mean, I mean, excuse me. I mean, to speak that way, it's because you listen to Mama and Daddy talk for such a period of time that you shape words the way that they shape words. If you speak with the Midwestern flat monotone nasal, that's because you heard those words repeatedly and you picked them up. And so, because of that, that's the way. It's not a genetic predisposition. It is a uh, possibility that you just heard these words shaped, and that's the way you say them. Now, what does that matter? Today we're going to look at Paul's opening line in chapter five, and you're going to see that he talks about this word imitate. When I was a kid, and I probably still could, from about 1977 to about 1981, uh, in in the in my junior high and high school days, uh, I could imitate every Chicago Cub. Anybody on their roster, their batting stance. How they set up and how they swung. How, how did I do that? I didn't sit home one day going, I want to know how everyone swings a bat. You watch enough games, you see the little things they do, and you could pick it up. We would play wiffle ball in the yard, and if that player came up and he was left-handed, you batted left-handed. I know you don't care, but I learned to imitate. How did I learn to imitate their swings? It's because I paid attention to them. What gets your attention gets you. And when you think about it, it's kind of an interesting thing. About three or four weeks ago I was out in the foyer and I was standing over by the prayer center and a couple of our ladies were talking and they didn't know I was close enough to hear but our 10 year old son Braden walked by and he didn't even acknowledge me, he never does and he was about his business on Sunday running the church as he's apt to do and he was going from one location down to the children's area and he walked by and one of the ladies said that's Mark's son, doesn't he look like him? And the other lady said these words exactly he walks just like his dad. I didn't know I had a walk, I really didn't. And I certainly don't know if my son walks like me. But let me tell you the truth. We've never had a class on how to walk like dad in our home. That might be genetics. And I will apologize to him later. But my kid looks like me and he acts like me. And sometimes he says things and it sounds like me. Imitation. Most of the things we learn in our life are habits we've picked up that we might not even know what normal is because we only know what we know. Listen to chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. I want to pause and give you a little editorial comment here. This is not going to be a thou shall not sermon. This is going to be you have power available to you if you choose it. Okay? This isn't a sermon where I bust your chops, make you feel horrible, and you change to get me off your back. There's going to be a message where I want want you to know God desires this for you. He's given you the ability to have this available to you if you'll choose it. So off we go. How am I to imitate God as a dearly loved child? I'm going to give you four things today. They're pretty simple and straightforward, but it's going to take more than you to make it happen. First thing, love like he does. This is fairly straightforward and simple. If you have to explain to a church that we're to love, we've missed the points from the very beginning. So let's just look at verse 2. Imitate God as love children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Chapter 4, verse 32 ends with, forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And verse 2 says, live a life of love. How? As dearly loved children. Remembering what you've received. Not in competition to get God's attention, but as we've talked about this entire series, living in the fact that you already have God's attention. Not loving so people love you back. Not giving so people give back. Not doing generous, loving, kind acts so that others will reward you. You do them because you have been loved by God. So, I think of the different ways around our house that I emulate things that I was raised in. And so the words of my father come out of my face quite often. The teachings of my mother are reminded in some of the things I say regularly. Uh, You'd never know this, but sometimes a phrase will come out that I'm not intending, and I can see the parent or grandparent who spoke those words to me. And I'm grateful for a legacy of faith. My parents and grandparents were imperfect people, but they sure set a pattern for me that I'm willing to follow, and I'm grateful for it. And the Bible says that we're to live in such a way that the pattern God has established for us in Jesus Christ will be the way we choose to live. Not out of obligation. I want to remind us that every week. We're not to love because God will be mad if we don't. We're to love because he's loved us so well. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we just be a blessing? And so I don't have time to do this, and I was joking with First Hour. This might actually be a sermon series coming up soon. Well, you want to know how to love when people are irritating you? Look at Jesus. Those disciples were irritating on the night he was about to be murdered, they were arguing about who was greater, and the answer was none of them. Yet Jesus loved them. What do you do when you're hurting and you're suffering? Look at Jesus in the garden and how he loved his disciples who were fast asleep. I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. If you really ask how do you love in a real world, read the Gospels and note how Jesus loved when the real world came crashing down on him. Just like he did. We are. Second thing, be above impurity. And I, I just want to caution you. I, I remember being a kid in church and going through college and going to hear preachers in the Lansing area preach, and I've listened to a lot of sermons in my lifetime and read quite a few of them recently. I enjoy doing that. And Whenever a preacher gets to this kind of text that I'm about to read to you, most of us buckle up and think, uh-oh, here he goes, hobby horse at full trot. Preacher's going to go off on us, and we just got to take it. No, you don't. listen. Remember, this is, thou, this is not a thou shall not sermon. This is a we can with the power God's given us. <clears throat> Verse 3. But among you there must not be any kind, or excuse me, let me start over. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's big text. That's powerful teaching. And here's what I want us to understand. I I won't spend long on this, but I would be foolish not to point this out. As a reminder to all of us, we live in a sex-saturated culture. Everything, every human is objectified by how you look and what you offer other people. It's a horrible economy we live in when it comes to the way we trade people and we treat people and we value and devalue people, all based on nonsense, all based on things that don't last. Real love has a beauty to it that cannot be measured in physicality. But we live in this sex-saturated culture. And we read things like in verse 3 where it says, because these are improper for God's holy people. You see, what I want us to remember when we read that text is, we live in a world today that says, no, I can have sexual relationships with whoever I want, and then when I marry, I'm going to be monogamous after that. That is improper for God's holy people. Now, that's not your preacher saying that, and that's not your church or your denomination saying that. We live in a world that says that's not true, and we must say what the Bible teaches us is not only accurate, it's worthy. But our world says, no, no, no. Try everybody out. See if you're sexually compatible. Fulfill your needs. There's nothing wrong with it if it makes you feel good. But we cannot expect the world to understand God's holy ways when people in the church won't yeah, that's when it gets awkward, doesn't it? So everybody goes, yeah, he said he wasn't going to, and then he did. If we can't talk about this, why do we get together? So everybody feels good about themselves? Yeah. That's a waste of all of our time. You see, when we look at this, Paul's telling us that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, which really is funny because greedy's mentioned in those three, that doesn't seem to fit. Think about it, immoral, impure, and greedy? Well, they're all forms of idolatry. They're all ways we're trying to meet our needs outside of a real God. And Paul warns us about that. Here's what I just want to say very simply. What can't make you holy cannot make you happy. Did you catch that, church? If we believe that God knows what he's talking about, and I do, I'm betting my life on it. Then you cannot be made happy by what won't make you holy. Or the happiness you think you're attaining is temporary, and yet the Bible also alludes to it as poison. Then after he's hit those low notes, he says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. We talked about that last week. Where Paul points out to us that we, not, we need to be saying things that are right for the moment and building people up in hope, not using the filth of the world to negate that. But instead of all these things, the giving of Thanks. To speak words of encouragement, what I really love about that passage, if you'll allow me to, is what is juxtaposed against what he said previously is we're not to use language that talks about sexuality and crudeness and irritating language to try to defile people and pull them back down to the world. We should speak of things of thanksgiving, highlighting the work of God and the work of Christ and celebrating the good things. Even in a world that's darkening, we still need to celebrate the light, don't we? We need to talk about the goodness of God. Had a great conversation this morning. I just love how the Holy Spirit works things out in church. And I was standing back talking uh, to a lady in our church, and and she's been sharing some prayer things, and and she simply said to me, uh, something happened, and she goes, and God is good. And in a beautiful moment, she corrected herself. She goes, well, he's always good. And we laughed and said, but we like that kind of good, don't we? So being a person of thanksgiving, even in your darkest moment, may be the best sermon you ever preach it may be the greatest testimony you ever give is to say when the doctor says cancer, my God is good and he will deliver me one way or the other. So, Paul then says, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Growing up, I've always believed that text talks about heaven. And so I, I, I balance between this... You're saved, but if you continue to live in this darkness and this evil and this impurity, are you not going to get heaven? And I began to read some commentaries, and they say it's probably a possibility of both a now and a then implication. What Paul is saying is people who live with impurity and immorality and sexual division in their life, who are living for the flesh and then trying to grow in the spirit, those people are not under the rule of Jesus. They're not submitting to his authority. They're choosing to live however they want and then asking God to still be their God. Listen, you can't have God as Savior if he's not your Lord. Because the one who saves you is also the one who wants to guide you, lead you, and repurpose you. So Paul's challenging them. Verses 6 and 7. I said that wrong. Paul's challenging me, not them. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things... God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. We are living in a world, and some of us are, and I have to admit it myself, many of us in this room are parroting the words of the world about morality, that we have no right to parrot. We cannot correct the living, breathing word of God. It is correct. So when we agree to the standards of the world, instead of upholding the standards of God, even when they're not popular... And even if we have to face the lion's den, we need to speak the words of truth. Church, correct? I want to try that again. Not because I want you to answer me. I want you to think about the implications. When the world says that God's words no longer fit, they no longer matter, and things of immorality and impurity are now pure and okay, we must stand up for the truth because the truth is good for those who don't believe it, not to punish them. Paul says don't even hang out with those, especially uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul even tells the church in Corinth, don't associate with people who call themselves followers of Jesus and yet choose to live in the filth of the world. Don't. Stay away from that because you imitate what you spend time with. So we love like he does. We live above impurity, and Paul tells us to live in the pleasure of his light. I want to give a moment for those of you taking notes to realize that I used the word pleasure there instead of the word penalty. And I don't know if you struggle with this like I have in my life, but a lot of times I have read the scriptures with this lens on my eyes that says, God is making me do this like cleaning my room to punish me for being a slob. So he's making me do these things because he's getting even for me for the number of years I just did whatever I wanted. And when I began to understand grace, I began to understand that God's light is not a penalty. It's a pleasure. Have you ever noticed at five in the morning when someone turns the light on in your bedroom when you don't want to be up? That is not a pleasure. And you become angry at that light. But have someone else ask you to turn that light off at 10 o'clock at night while you're trying to read in bed, and you think, no, I love the light. The light is warm and comfortable and pleasing. The same light that one time can shock you is the same light that can give you pleasure and joy. There's a pleasure in the light. Listen to it, verses 8 and 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper. The light that blinded you is now leading your steps. It's showing you obstacles. It's showing you things that can trip you up and cause you harm. Open yourself up to it. Live for it. If we're going to imitate God, we love like God loves. And we, we stay out of the filth and we live for the holiness because we know we can't be made happy if it won't make us holy. And thirdly, we imitate the light that Jesus shone. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God has said, and this is a powerful verse, let light shine out of darkness And the God who said this made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He gave us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of God's word shows us the beauty of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and it shows us to that through Jesus. And then he says, I love it, verses 9 and 10. Goodness, righteousness, and truth are the signs of life. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So you know what goodness is. And you know what truth is. But I want to challenge us to know what righteousness is. Righteousness is when I'm right with God and I'm right with you. That's what a righteous life looks like. Righteousness is not just being a pious person who lives in the holiness of being around God but it's being right with God so that I can be right with you. It's that I can be a forgiving person with you because God's been forgiving with me. I can be a loving person to anybody because God's love pours through me. I can be kind and gracious and thoughtful and not think about myself but think about others. I can only do those things when I've received them from God. And when I open myself up to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I can become a person who understands the pleasure of light. And choose to live that out. And then Paul says that we live to discover what pleases God. And this is not a mystery. I remember one time looking at my dad. My mom was really mad at me. And I said to dad, I don't know how to make her happy. <laughs> I now know why my father didn't answer. <laughs> I just remember that look on his face like he, he bit right through his tongue. And I understand now why. My mom's a wonderful person. But there were certain things she wanted us to do that she wanted us to figure out on our own. We're guys, eternity wouldn't bring us that answer. (laughs) And she learned as she got older, instead of wanting us to guess, she just simply said, if you boys will do this, mom will be happy. And making mom happy was a good thing. Here's the beauty of God. He has made known to you. It's not a mystery what pleases him. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we get those two things right, the fruit of living for God plays out. Ephesians 5.11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. This is a tough text. Not only are we not to live in the filth of the world, but we need to show people living in the filth of the world that they're wrong. No, no, no. That there's a better way. Did you catch that? There's a difference between being right and being righteous. Being right, you can be a snob, offensive, you can be vulgar, you can be direct and harmful, all being right. You're still right. But we're called to be righteous, which means I not only need to know what the truth is, but I need to allow the truth to set people free, not send them into condemnation. But speaking the truth in love does not mean we dilute the truth. It means we say what the hope of the gospel says. We offer them release and freedom and life, not the death, darkness, and corruption in which we live. It can, it can be as wrong to say the right thing as it is to say nothing. If you're not saying it to offer them the same grace, mercy, and hope given to each of us. So we love like he loves. We live in purity the way he did. And we live in the pleasure of his light, lastly. We accept his wisdom gratefully. And this is the turning point in today's message. How do we choose to accept his wisdom gratefully? Verse 15, Paul gives us a warning. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Boy, there's a lot here. He gives us some challenges. First of all, be very careful how you live. Choice. I've said it three times. This will be the fourth, and I'll be done with it. This is not a thou shall not sermon. This is there is a power available to you if you desire it. Therefore, be careful how you live. Christianity is not an aimless wandering through life trying to do better. It is an intentional lifestyle focused on choosing the imitation of our God rather than the imitation of the other things we've let distract us. Chad said it a few weeks ago, and I really liked it. One of the big issues that keeps us from walking in the Lord the way we could is distraction. We allow our minds to be taken other places. So we don't live an aimless, casual walk, occasionally meeting up with Jesus for coffee. We live every day following the one who leads us. And Paul quickly goes on and says, making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. We see that. And understand what the will of the Lord is. That's not a mystery. It's found in the word of God. It's found in the presence of God. That God would reveal himself to us as we open ourselves to him. And if I stopped right there in verse 17, we would all walk out of here hearing what most every sermon sounds like. Do better. Yet that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus did better because I can't. So, how do we end this message without it becoming a, oh, man, four more things to do? Pay close attention. Verse 18, Paul gives us a very simple command, be filled with the Spirit. That's the key. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is a Spirit that inhabits us. It's the same spirit that God gave us. It is the engine. It is the software. Use whatever analogy you want. It takes you where you want to go. And some of us say, I want the spirit. I want more of the spirit. Then, and this is a tricky line I get to say in a sermon and get away with it. You have to empty what you're full of. You see, if you want God to fill you, you have to get rid of the stuff that you've replaced him with. Greed, impurity, immorality. You need to clear your mind and heart. You need to pursue him with the thirst and with the hunger and with the passion. You see, God is not so far out there that you can't get to him because he came to you. In Jesus Christ and through his spirit, he's available to you. You can ask him. If you sit here today numb, you're not motivated. You're sitting there going, I want to be a Christian, but I got no juice right now. I'm flat empty then fall on your knees before God and wait on him yes what if you had to spend an abundance of time with God never speaking wait when he speaks it will change everything There is is the Spirit of God available to every one of us. You don't have to go to a holy mountain. You don't have to go to a certain country. You don't have to pray a certain number of prayers. You don't have to be covered in a certain oil or do anything. You simply open yourself up to God and say, expose to me in the light. I won't like how I look in the light. With all cosmetic changes away, when I stand in front of a mirror, it's pretty ghastly. Stand before God. Everything's exposed, but he's doing that so he can repurpose me. So are you open to begging, seeking, praying, and waiting for the space? Which means you're going to have to put away distractions. Instead of waiting, going, you know, God, between 7 and 7.15 in the mornings, I got 15 minutes a day. That doesn't work. You wait on the Lord. You, You open every day seeking him. Uh, Isaac and I uh, help coach, there's a couple of uh, guys, there's like four of us, so that at least two of us are at every game. We coach a little league team here in Web City. And I had a little boy on the team come to me, and because of the weather, we've played like four games in the last six years, it seems like, and a little boy came to me, and he doesn't like where he's batting in the batting order, and he doesn't like the fact that he hasn't played in the infield yet, and he'd like to pitch, which is every kid everywhere. And I said to him, I said, okay, so... You don't like yourself where you're at in the batting order? No, I'd like to hit up higher. Okay, I got you. I'd like to play in the infield if possible. Okay, I got you. And I'd like to pitch tomorrow. (laughs) Okay, got that too. I asked him one set of questions. I said to him, so what did you do this week to get better? Did you throw a tennis ball against the house and try to hit a certain brick? Did you throw the ball up on the roof and run up and catch it so you learn how to catch a fly ball properly? Did you take a ball out in the backyard and and just hit it into the weeds and go chase it. Did you, did you do those little things that get you better? No. And what'd you do? And he told me what he spent his day, and he's gonna become really good at what he spent his day doing. He said, I rode my bike. And I said, well, if you spend every day riding your bike, you got a better chance of being an All-American in the X games than you do an All-American in baseball. And it was a beautiful sermon. He didn't hear it as well as I gave it. It was great. I mean, I didn't even need just as I am. He was ready, he should have come forward. But I realized I'd preached that that was the sermon to me. I was talking to a nine-year-old Mark. You love baseball, you say, but you're not playing enough. You're not working hard enough. You say you want it, but you're not giving yourself to it. And every kid I've ever coached wants to be better than they are but they don't want to pay the price to be better than they are and the price I'm asking you to pay today if you really want to follow Jesus and you want to to live the fullness of this pardon the expression this game is you need to understand we're not playing a game this is about life this is about experiencing a closeness to God and if you've convinced yourself I'm going to wait until I get to heaven to get close to God someone's lied to you because the kingdom is now. It's not when we die, he's here. He speaks to people, he's moving in people's lives, he's changing futures. Freedom is breaking out all around us. Don't wait till you die to meet God, meet him now. But you've got to say, when I wake up, do I wanna be good at imitating God or imitating the things of this world? We can be filled with the spirit. And then Paul compares it to wine. And that always makes church people weird out. But he said, hey, you know how to get drunk on wine and feel good for a moment. You know how to use drugs and feel good for a moment. You know how to have false intimacy with someone sexually and feel good for a moment. But notice what happens when those moments end. All those temporary things break you to pieces. Called dissipation. It harms your heart and soul and the people you involve. But he said, instead of being drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Open yourself up to the lasting satisfaction of being fulfilled and led and guided. If you want more of God, then I beg you, imitate Him. Imitate Him with purity. Imitate Him with love. Imitate Him with your heart and soul and mind. Make time to pursue God the same way you've pursued everything else you've become good at. And the Spirit of God who's not to be quenched, that spirit will fill you. And then, people will say, wow, she walks just like her dad. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com